Well, Lisa, I sound really ridiculous saying this to you, given your home country and upbringing, but long live the king, right? I mean, it, it's, yeah. it, it, it doesn't roll off my tongue quite yet, right? It, it's just not there. But I will say that many people around the globe are mourning Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, Her Majesty died uh, just this past week. And of course, uh, Prince Charles, now King Charles III, has ascended to the throne. So, yeah, this is interesting because there's been a, uh, what, an entire spectrum of responses to the death of the Queen, right? So I have no clue what to do with that. But yeah, there's been a spectrum there. Yeah, I think it's pretty funny, actually, because... I was going backwards and forwards. I was getting a blow by blow account about what was happening the morning of from my UK connections. And then it was actually you, Shauna, who texted me with the um, final (laughs) information that the Queen had passed. So, Mm -hmm. you know, because you are such a fan of the Royals, you are actually my go-to person for royalty information since I do not follow them at all, Um, which is um, pretty funny, but also presents me with a question that I think would be great for us to discuss in this podcast. You know, how can you love the Royals as much as you do and follow them so intently when you're also acutely aware of the history, the devastating and violent history of the British monarchy? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, let's dive in. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. I may be the first, but I know I won't be the last. Create a little club, do something. Just do something that's, if it's not there already, create it. Be the leader. If you can knock down that barrier and be the first, it makes it a lot easier for other people to come through without having to go through a lot of those things. Is women supporting women? So we not only have to support each other, but we have to decide that we're gonna choose solidarity and act on it. The Outspoken Women in Endurance Sports Summit brings women together to build connections, increase and sustain women's leadership in the industry, and drive forward equity and inclusion. In the past, we focused on women in triathlon, but this year, we are expanding our scope and including all endurance sports with a key focus on business. Learn strategies to help you grow your own business, ways to build your influence and career in the endurance industry, and leave with a network of other women committed to helping you succeed. Join us at the Outspoken Summit from November 11th to November 13th in Tempe, Arizona. Visit OutspokenSummit.com or click the link in the show notes for more information and get your ticket today. That's OutspokenSummit.com. The Outspoken Summit. Build your brand, grow your influence, drive your impact. It's race season in the Northern Hemisphere, and that means hard races, hard training sessions, and sore muscles are guaranteed. Luckily, 
The new Muscle and Mind Soak from TryHard effectively reduces muscle soreness while soothing dry and cracked skin. It provides an anti-stress remedy to fully relax and maximize recovery, leading to higher performance. The Epsom Dead Sea Salts in the Muscle and Mind Soak encourage the absorption of magnesium into the body to reduce muscle cramps, swelling, and joint tightness. It will also help you wind down and relax. So go ahead and use code STAYFEISTY20 for 20% off at tryhard.co. That's STAYFEISTY20 for 20% off at tryhard.co. Age is just a number, but your health is a science. People age at different speeds, some faster, some slower. That means the date that marks your birthday may not represent your body's actual biological age. That's why Inside Tracker developed InnerAge 2.0. This proprietary AI-driven platform reveals how your body is aging and provides a personalized, science-backed action plan to help you get younger from the inside out. We believe that your best self isn't behind you, it's within you. And by looking at the science of your health and longevity, you can discover the personalized path to living healthier and longer. So, if you want to continue doing the activities you love with the people you love for the rest of your life, it's time to turn back the clock with InnerAge 2.0. For a limited time, Feisty listeners can take 20% off your entire Inside Tracker order, including InnerAge 2.0. Just visit insidetracker.com forward slash Feisty. So Lisa, it just dawned on me, and it, it's kind of funny actually that we kind of crossed path with each other, and now we're connecting the stories together. So I've been a follower of the Royals since prior to Princess Diana's passing, murder, whatever you choose to describe it, um, and I know that you have specifically studied U.S. politics political yes. science and so forth. So I think it's so interesting that we study each other's countries right? <laughs> and now right. your own country as a naturalized citizen. But, you know, I think that's so interesting that we cross paths with each other. We, we might know more about each other's home countries than our own countries, if that makes any sense. Yes. Yes. No, I think that's definitely true about royalty in the UK because I am not interested in them. I do not think that it should exist. <laughs> and so when I got a flurry mm-hmm. of people texting me saying, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, and crying emojis, I'm just like, eh, <laughs> really, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry for her family who are obviously grieving as any person would grieve if they are close to their grandmother or their mother, right? But like, other yeah. than that, you know, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, moving on, moving right along with my day, on with my to-do list. And you know what made it really interesting to me was that I received your text message saying that she was uh, under medical care, uh, something about mobility and under medical care that morning. And then later that afternoon, I was sitting here doing my work and getting some things done, and my parents, who I have never known to follow the Royals at all, sent me a text message saying, "Well." The queen is out of here. I'm like, what? And so I'm literally, the queen is out of here. Quote, the queen is out of here. That's fantastic. And I was like, what's going on? And so I turn on the news and, you know, there it goes. CNN and lots of other stations were reporting the passing of, of Her Majesty. And so I'm like, 
Oh, interesting. So now, of course, I'm completely distracted. I'm sucked into what happens next. I know that everything that happens from here on out has been extremely orchestrated, probably for decades. And so now I'm sucked into the the pageantry and the lineage and all of this, while still paying attention to others who look like me or others that were born and raised in colonized territories that are like, they're, they're more from your perspective, Lisa, like either bye-bye, don't let the doorknob hit you, or, but no one was really like ultra devastated except for, except for uh, people who follow the royals and the family. And so I just found it really interesting. I mean, people took it as an opportunity to just tell the entire colonial history of everything. And I, I just think it's fascinating. It's so fascinating. Yeah, I mean, so I am curious, like, how do you reconcile that? How do you have such interest in the royal family um, and excitement around them and kind of getting swept up in the pageantry while also at the same mm -hmm. time knowing that history, you know, that has mm -hmm. contemporary repercussions. So it's not something that is just left in the past, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's definitely not history, I would say. It's not completely history. It's It's present tense, if you will. And for me... It first started out with very shallow interest in fashion. I would literally watch everything that Princess Diana wore and, you know, all the royals. I knew that they had very clear rules as to what they could wear and what they couldn't wear and the length of this and that. And I'm thinking to myself, you have to be a really interesting person to be okay with subscribing to all of these rules, whether written or unwritten, right? And so I thought that was interesting. I got sucked into the story of Princess Diana being somewhat of a rebel. Um, and I appreciated that because she, as a royal, stood for more of what I could align with than the actual lineage to the monarchy. So I thought that was interesting. And then when she passed and then waiting to see, even though it's a long-term wait, waiting to see how Princess Diana's fingerprint, if you will, would play out once William was closer to the crown, if you will. And so that kind of got me sucked in initially, all of that kind of uh, journey, and it's still watching that journey a bit. And then part of me is like watching a train wreck. It's almost like, how do you not know that Yes, all of this pageantry and so forth is very real for you, but it's on the backs of certain people. So, yeah, I can stand here and I've actually been to see the crown jewels and know that many, if not all of those diamonds were mined from South Africa as blood diamonds and say, yes, the crown is both beautiful and sickening at the same time. And still looking at this train wreck of this is interesting that an entire family can still function knowing this, but yet still function as if it's not existing. Right. Right. You know, and so to me, I'm like, I'm watching the train wreck of how do y'all live with that vast dichotomy? How do you do it? I would say whiteness and wealth probably makes that fairly goodness, easy yes. for them. I mean, oh, goodness, I know that yes. there has been some attempts by William and Kate, I think, re very recently, right, to in some way atone. I forget where they traveled to in the last few years. Um, 
but some people refuse to even visit with them. I think some some individuals of of importance within the country because of that history. And you know, there's been I've been communicating with my dad about what's been going on in the UK and how it's being reported. And pretty much from what I can understand is that the BBC is is universally reporting positive sentiments, right? So they're interviewing people from a lot of the former colonies. I will say the ones that he cited to me are primarily white, white controlled, I guess, not necessarily white majority countries. Um where folks have, you know, fond memories of the queen. So it's one story that's being told. Um, And that's a problem, right? Because you have this other or many, not just, it's not just two stories about Elizabeth and the monarchy broadly that are being erased. Um, And I think this comes to that kind of perennial issue around in death, when is it appropriate, is it appropriate to talk about the negatives, right? right. The bad. Right, right, um, exactly. That that comes up a lot in very different circumstances. But we, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've certainly seen on Twitter and on the other socials, you know, folks get attacked because they're articulating a position that is unfavorable, right? Like I'm not mourning the queen because the queen and all she stands for is an oppressor. So no, <laughs> right? And then that's they're right. attacked at doing it. It's not the right time. It's disrespectful, blah, blah, blah. You know, um, I don't know what your perspectives are on that. Well, and here, here's my rebuttal. Even as I have a loved one who is older than the queen was, um, I still keep in perspective. So at 96 years of age, passing away, when exactly is the right time then to talk about colonization, to talk about plundering, to talk about kind of this Romanized approach to the entire world, thinking that the entire world is open to be conquered by the United Kingdom. It's it's kind of like, you know, to people who are uncomfortable with it, there's never a good time to talk about it, which is why people keep talking about it, where right, they feel right. very strongly about it. And so, yeah, I, I do feel like, you know, people are using this as an opportunity to start that conversation because it hasn't been a conversation that's been kept um, alive over these years. But it's like, this person has lived for 96 years. If I choose not to wait to talk about these issues that have been longstanding, then I have a right to do that. So I'm not a fan of censorship of people who have strong feelings about this either. I'm not. So I I think they should have a voice as well, because there will never be a good time to talk about these issues with people who are offended by it ever. And I think that there is a piece here, right, around um, separating the person from the institution. And I actually don't really know much about Queen Elizabeth. Um, She was on the throne for 70 years. I know that she went through, when you think about what's happened in 70 years, like significant cultural transformation. Um, I know that at some point in my lifetime, the royalty started to pay taxes. So presumably she was influential in that decision-making process. But I also know that um, she didn't have a lot of power, right? Because you know, when she took over, things were really shifting towards the monarchy just being a figurehead. And so head of state, yes, but really no political influence, no ability to um, determine the direction of the country. 
And so when decisions were made politically, like I'm thinking about the Iraq war and Prime Minister Tony Blair at the time, I mean, we're recording this on the anniversary of September 11th, you know, um, I'm not sure that it is fair to put blame at her feet for that, but it sounds like she did give Tony Blair a knighthood, right? So there's something to be said mm-hmm. there around mm-hmm. what does that mean, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah. it's complicated. And I think one of the pieces that you and I keep tripping up when we have conversations about this offline is that a lot of this work around diversity, equity, and inclusion, and especially understanding history of nations and how they impact the everyday modern experience of each of us is that there's likely to be contradictions and it's messy right and we are each flawed right in in some way or another yeah absolutely well and you know even as i'm thinking about you know the succession to the crown act you know that was specifically under uh Queen Elizabeth's reign is that, again, that's a messy moment for uh, an individual that represents colonization. So we're not talking about the the Crown Act of the United States around um, hair oppression. Um, We're not talking about that. We're talking about the succession to the Crown Act, where in 2013, I believe, uh, that was where the decision was made that accession to the Crown was no longer dependent on gender which allowed the women in the family, the girls born in the family to have an opportunity to go directly to the crown based on birth order. So, you know, it no longer skipped. So let's say, uh, Lisa, you were still in the UK, you were royalty, you were the uh, oldest child and the second child was a boy, third child was a boy. Originally that would just skip over you and go directly to your brother, even though you're the oldest. Now, you know, that succession has changed so that um, gender is not the determining factor of that. So part of me is like, what happens when you do a good thing in a fucked up system, right? Like that's a good thing for gender equity, but the system is still shot to hell. But that's because it's based on, you know, what you mentioned before around kind of this uh, caste system of class, that will forever exist. Like I'm, I'm still even blown away that Kate Middleton's family, for example, is self-made millionaires, but still considered in the class of commoners. Is that all based on bloodline? Is I don't know. But what I'm saying is that again, something that's powerful, but in a very fucked up system. And so one of the best uh, critiques that I've heard recently was that um, an individual said, "I'm still unsure why any." U.S. citizen would be a fan of any royal because that is the exact system that we fled from to create a new country. And they're exactly right. They're exactly right. But that doesn't, you know, explain the fascination that sometimes me and many others still have. I'm trying to understand what the hell is going on here. I mean, constantly trying to understand what's going on in the U.K. Yeah, but it's not just your kind of analytical uh, what is going on in the U.K., right? Like you're you're wrapped up a little bit in kind of the the princess nature of it and the special nature of it right so but um and I've never really that's never really been um an experience of mine like I remember when Princess Diana and Prince Charles got married I think I did get like a mug with their faces on it but I mean I was young and so (laughs) I think I might actually still own that mug um 
but you know, I didn't know any better, but as I got older, I just have never really developed a bond. I mean, I was, I liked Princess Diana, but I've also since done like a lot of my PhD research was on white femininity. And so Princess Diana comes up quite a lot there in the oh, ways yes. in which she is um, idolized and pedestaled um, and how she represents a particular type of white femininity. Right. Um but I'm just not, I'm not as enamored with all of the pomp and circumstance and the jewels and the fancy gowns and all of that stuff. It just feels like problematic to me when you have a family that has so much wealth and then you have a country where there are people struggling in poverty. Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm still like, okay, help me to understand how, yes, you have a million dollars of diamonds and jewels on your head but then you're the patron of 200 different charities. Like, does this not sink in what's happening? Right. I can say, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I would love to know just like, <laughs> look, this might be a, a Megan and, and Harry conversation behind the scenes. Do they really understand what the hell is going on here? Because that to me is a dichotomy that exists all the time. You know, even with as much as I love, for example, the announcement of the Invictus Games and, you know, working with those two our, um, our athletes and disabled athletes, for example, like, I think that's all interesting. And at the same time, do you not understand that, your as a royal your security bill for a year is more than all the money that you give to all the patronage that you have under your title i don't know if that sinks yeah. in and that doesn't mean that i'm not enamored by it i'm just trying to think of do does the contradiction sink in for the royals maybe for know. some but probably not all right? They're mm -hmm. not making that connection. Um, right. You know, and it, this there's a huge symbolism in it, right? Because Princess Diana, didn't she, didn't she visit a hospital with HIV positive patients and like lift, lifted up a, a child or held a baby that was HIV positive? Like, didn't she forgot about that? Yeah. Yeah. She did. Mm -hmm. So she, I mean, I have no idea also whether she understood that contradiction, but I know that she she appeared to understand the power that she like her image could yield in terms of cultural change. Right. So I know that she made some choices there, at least it's, you know, in terms of kind of what we understand having been reported. Um, she made those choices intentionally. Mm, yeah, absolutely. She made those choices intentionally. And, you know, that's why I. You know, I think it's interesting that she, uh, what, only had a year from the moment the divorce was final to when she died in that car accident. And it's like, how much did it take for her to get free? Goodness gracious, because she clearly was not cut from the same cloth as that family. Um, and so, you know, I think therein lies the contradiction, right, where when yes you see all that's going on in the context and yes the context can be somewhat glamorous and attractive but still looking at the broader context it reminds me of when um i'm not going to say the name of the person that said this because they are contra controversial but it's it's kind of like presenting a filet mignon on a trash can lid it's like these are probably nice people well, these are probably people that are considerate and et cetera. However, look at the trash can lid of the context that they are playing in front of. You can't separate one from the other. 
So then, okay. So then if you can't separate the person from the thing, then um, to critique you know, to to critique the monarchy now and to explicitly articulate, you know, in an interview or mm-hmm. online that you are not mourning the queen because the queen is herself an oppressor because you cannot separate her from the institution, right? But then there's been some comments kind of counter to that where it's like, that's what, you know, holding both of those things at the same time, that she's someone's grandmother she seemed like a nice lady you know from what we know of her and then she also represents this institution but you can critique one without the other can you right if if it's the filet mignon on a trash can lid yeah see I'm not sure because when I think about other leaders that I completely despise yeah it's hard for me to separate the two like again I've I've shared this example with other friends where if something happened to 45 right now, I can't even say his name. If something happened to 45 right now, I'd be in that group of non-mourners. And I also understand that he has a family and he's got at least one human being on this planet that loves him. And so for them, yeah, it's a sad day. For me, meh. And I'm, I'm going back to that meh example before. It's like, I'm going to continue on with my day um, and, and let their family grieve as they want to. But yeah, my, but also with 45, I've had a consistent critique. I'm not coming out of the woodwork as soon as their last breath is taking and then making critiques I'm critiquing consistently. Um, And so, I don't know. I think it's, it's interesting. And I don't want to take away from individuals, which I can't take away from individuals' opportunity to articulate their feelings at what they feel is an opportune moment. When people are paying attention, when people are listening, when people are watching hashtags, you know, and so that's where I'm like, "Mm, I'm not a fan of censoring people either. Go ahead and tell the whole truth. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think part of it, it isn't, for me, it doesn't feel opportunistic. Like, I, I don't know. For the folks that I've seen that have been critiquing the monarchy and not mourning Queen Elizabeth, I actually don't know their historical record in terms of if they've always said it or not. But to your point, right, now the spotlight's on it. And so there's an opportunity to um, get their voices heard in in a media that generally would erase them. So... That's right. That, you know, right. so I think that's strategic, right? That's really mm-hmm. thinking about how do we get the message out there in an environment where historically we are just ignored and erased. I mean, communities of color primarily, right, all over the world who have experienced mm-hmm. a lot of pain and destruction and cultural and her- their heritage erased by by the monarchy, by the British monarchy. Um, Absolutely. But, I think, you know, also to underscore your point is it's not our place to say that they can't do that, right? Because that's their experience, their history. They lived through that. Their ancestors lived through that. And so certainly me as a white British person rolling in and saying that's disrespectful is itself disrespectful, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So I'm not for that censorship either. I, I just think that I am very okay with sitting in the messiness of everyone that's is placed on either a real or proverbial pedestal when it comes to what their life represents, what their experiences represent. And 
how we respond to it when that life ends, you know? So there's lots of folks that are kind of that 80-20 rule where, you know, even if 80% of what they did is lifted up and used as a shining example, I guarantee you that there's at least another percentage, 20% or maybe more, maybe less, that's there that, no, we probably wouldn't want to emulate. And sometimes we want to really sweep under the rug because we don't want to address it at the very same time. So it's not a zero sum game where someone is all wonderful and all sucky. It, it's it's a it's always a combination of both. It's a matter of how much is put out there. And we know that right. the UK has a machine that intricately yeah. determines what is shared with the world and what is right. not. We know that. Yeah. And I think in times of grief and sorrow, we do as humans have selective memories, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like yes, we do yes, 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 tend yes, yes. to pedestal individuals at least in our lives, whether they are known well to us or not. And, you know, so any of their, any of the misgivings we might have had, we don't tend to remember in that moment. It, you know, it just feels, um, it's a little, it's a little different in terms of scale, I suppose, when we're talking about the queen and monarchy versus your uncle, right. Or, you know, a sports person or a movie star or something. So I think that, uh, I think it is just to reiterate, it is really complicated, you know, and even my, like my feelings of meh, like, I don't really, I don't have strong feelings. Like even that I think is a product of whiteness, right? Because I have not been the recipient of the British monarchy's violence, it's happened in the background. I was never really taught about it in school. Like I'm still Mm -hmm. actually kind of educating myself and learning about it, you know, other than kind of broad strokes. I mean, it wasn't until I was in my twenties that I actually realized that the British museum was full of things stolen from other countries because the British museum is not, does not advertise itself as, you know, as a, as a building Mm -hmm. full of stolen goods. Certainly that is not how, and I've only been to the British museum a couple of times in my life, but certainly that was not the message I got. So, you know, so much is omitted. So I think also this kind of selective amnesia from probably a vast majority of white people in the UK, at least is partly she's been around for 70 years. And so you've never known your life without her, but also partly because you're completely undereducated on the extent of the British Empire's brutality, right? And yeah, sure, you don't want to. You don't want to think about that. You don't want to think about you're a part of it. Like many white Americans don't want to think about their connection to slavery, right? The fact that they have benefited from it, even if they don't have direct ancestors who were slave owners. So I mean, right. that's kind of a similar connection, oh, yeah. right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Look, let me tell you. Every time I watch that portion of Black Panther, where Doctor Killmonger, who is a uh, an analogy for African Americans who feel uh, caught in between U.S. whiteness and their home of Wakanda, if you will, um, that was an analogy for that. And so every time I see that scene in Black Panther, where they're basically going to steal our stuff back, I'm like, give us our shit back, like. Hello, y'all are walking around, you know, walking around in the museum like this is uh, intricately curated. I'm like, no, give us our shit back. If every African person of African descent, every African country, we want our shit back. How about that? Okay, I'm speaking for the whole continent right now. We want our shit back. And I would be interested to see how much is left in the damn museum once we take all our shit back. How about that? Right. Right. And 
given that you're exactly right the way you protect the stolen shit is by never saying that it was stolen yeah that's how you protect the shit yeah so you know i i think again the the uk is full of constant contradictions Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. such a way that it really can force us to reflect and think about whether it's our individual contradictions, like myself right. and yeah, I'm going to look, you guaranteed whenever the funeral is, I'm going, I'm going to log in, I'm going to tune in and see who's wearing what I'm interested. Yes. That's my guilty pleasure. And at the same time, knowing that these are colonizers, I'll probably yeah. wear my not today colonizer shirt just to commemorate the occasion because mm-hmm. I can put both of those in balance. But I think you know, again, let's do some self-examination of how many times do we stand in contradiction yeah. to our, our spouse beliefs, to what we say we support, to what we say we don't support. We do it individually. We do it as groups. We do it as employers, employees. We do it as mm-hmm. endurance sport teams, as individuals, as you know, folks that are vendors and event planners in the sport community, you know, all of that, we have all these contradictions. And so I think it it beckons us to do some reflection on how can we lessen the amount of contradiction that we feed into, myself included. Yeah, no, agreed. I think that's a great, great point to end and actually transitions us very nicely to our hell yeah slash hell nah, which is actually a hell maybe this week. So um, let's let's shift to that segment of the show. Hell yeah. Hell no. Nah. So we, right. we have a gr- great hell maybe. Um, and I'm appreciative because I think this is interesting. Lisa, you know how I feel about any form of censorship whatsoever. And we have a Carnegie Mellon professor that sends out a tweet wishing the Queen of England excruciating pain before her death. And I'm like, whoa, like, first of all, I'm like, okay, who is this? (laughs) Like, I wanted to know who wrote it, who wrote it. Um, And then, um, you know, who wrote it, meaning what is their background? Because clearly there is. Uh, parts of that person's identity that are directly connected to the oppression of the monarchy. And so I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Um, and then, <laughs> so the I won't read the full tweet, but the professor at Carnegie Mellon mentioned that she's the child and, and sibling of survivors of genocide. Um, and she's of the Igbo people of Nigeria that tried to form their own independent nation at the time. Um, and they were slaughtered. Her, some of her family, much of her family, were slaughtered during this genocide under the uh, reign of Queen Elizabeth II. And so, given that, you know, I think it's really important that she expresses her direct connection to oppression. Right? This just happens to be the oppression that we don't read in the history books. This is where the oppression yep. is very yep. real and living. And so. You know, given that, I think it's interesting. But now the part that I am never down for is that who the hell is Jeff Bezos to try to check her on sharing her experiences and feelings about her family in a genocide? What? Okay, I, I missed that. What did what did 
the fabulous Jeff Bezos have to say? Oh, about he he said he said that it was it was inappropriate. You know, he said it was a it was an inappropriate statement. And I'm thinking to myself, Dr. Anya can express herself how she chooses. Um, I don't know what faculty rank she is because Lisa, you and I know this many times that plays a part um, in this. But Jeff Bezos, I'm like. Where are you coming from? Look, white man, sit down somewhere, okay? You definitely right. should not be checking a yeah. Nigerian woman on what she has to say about her family. And so I don't care what she said on that tweet. Jeff Bezos had no uh, place at all in responding to that. So I'm like, Mm-mm, sit down, Jeff. You're doing too much. You're doing too well, much. I mean, yeah, we could do a whole episode on him and the fact that he does does too much and too little, right? But so, okay, so hell not a Jeff and his response, but the hell maybe then with this tweet is that um, mm-hmm. where, where do we land? This is the complicatedness. This is the mess, right? So the tweet was pretty explicit and wished yes. pain on an individual. And, mm-hmm. but- her experience is valid and important and she has no interest in mourning the head of state that oversaw mm-hmm. or was involved in uh, a massacre right yeah yeah and exactly so it's freedom of speech against mm-hmm. or you know not wishing violence upon yeah. someone i mean what are you thinking yeah yeah, and and the you know the the final kind of uh, punch with Dr. Anya's tweet was I heard the chief monarch of a thieving, raping, genocidal empire is finally dying. May her pain be excruciating. And then Bezos, kind of quoting and responding to the tweet, says, "This is someone speaking of the professor that spoke. This is someone supposedly working to make the world better. I don't think so." this is a time to keep quiet. You should probably stay quiet when it comes to critiques of empire and its overlords. What the hell? I mean, and I I know even that sounds like a contradiction of saying, I don't want the professor to be censored. I don't want Jeff Bezos necessarily to be censored either, but I need him to have some wherewithal around his positionality in life. And I'm sorry, but a very rich white man should not contradict a Nigerian woman's experience. Never. Yeah. Yeah. Never. He has zero self-reflection on that. Like by telling None. her to be quiet is so loaded, right? Because people of color are told to be quiet and erased. Women are told to be quiet and erased. Um, he's commenting on something he probably knows absolutely jack shit about. So um that's right. And he's that's not right. even British, right? So it's not even like he's getting indignant on behalf of like being <laughs> British or whatever, right? Yeah. I mean. I mean, what she states is true. It's true, right? Like her right. her tweet is true. I think probably the most contentious point for people was the second half of that tweet, right? Mm-hmm. At what, you know, and so exactly. how do you defend a person's um, ability to share their feelings and their experiences while mm-hmm. also holding the grief of loved ones in the same place? I mean, I don't know. Is that even a fair? Mm-hmm. That's probably, that's a false equivalency probably. Right. And, and, you know, I think, uh, Jeff, I need you to uh, have several seats. No, we don't need your commentary. Uh, We have to be clear that Nigeria only became independent in the 60s, I think in actually 1960. 
So yeah, I'm gonna need you to uh, just stay over there. And uh, th this sounds very much like a shut up and dribble moment that LeBron experienced. Um, and by the way, to tell everybody to kiss his ass, LeBron James actually bought and trademarked the phrase shut up and dribble to now be oh, really? the umbrella of all of his uh, his nonprofit endeavors. Oh, so that's that's fantastic. It is fantastic. Yeah, I love it. So, you know, my point being is mm -mm, no, Jeff. No, that's not OK. All right. Well. We're curious to hear what you all think about the tweet, whether it was good, bad, or you're indifferent, and how you're feeling about the Queen Elizabeth, um, dem Queen Elizabeth's demise and King Charles mm. III's um, ascension, <laughs> if you will, and right. where you see the contradictions. And if you too are a lover of the royals, how do you reconcile um, that with the pretty uh, horrible, and horrible is an understatement, history of the British Empire mm. and the British monarchy? Whether you're competing in a triathlon or swimming to challenge yourself, Orca has fit-for-purpose swimwear designed to meet your needs. Innovation has always been part of Orca's DNA, and when it came to the development of their new triathlon wetsuits, a wide range of skill levels and different types of triathletes were taken into account. Whether you're looking for maximum flexibility, maximum buoyancy, or somewhere in between, Orca wetsuits are designed to help you achieve better performance in the water. It is performance made simple. For 15% off all items at orca.com, use the code IRONWOMEN15. Do you wanna get more out of your rides this summer? Any old device can track distance, time, and pace. But how about the ability to see the upcoming hills or points of interest along your route? The Hammerhead Caro 2 helps you find your path forward and unlock your full potential on every ride. The Hammerhead Caro 2 is the most advanced GPS cycling computer available today with industry-leading mapping, navigation, and routing capabilities that set it apart from other GPS options. Free global maps with points of interest included like cafes or campsites mean you can explore with confidence and on-the-go flexibility. So one of the really neat things about the Hammerhead is that it sends bi-weekly software updates, and I've definitely noticed those in my emails. And so they have these new feature releases, and those are unmatched by the competition. So unlike other head units, your Karu 2 continues to evolve and improve with each ride better than the last. So this is an exclusive limited time offer only for our podcast listeners. So don't forget to use promo code UNFAZED that's a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Karu 2. Go to hammerhead.io, add both items to your cart, and use promo code UNFAZED today. Seven years ago, a group of 12 athletes asked the powers that be at Ironman headquarters for equal slots for the pro women at the Ironman World Championship. We felt strongly then, as we do now, that equality of opportunity is important in sports, not just for the pros, but for the girls coming up behind us who will see that equality, feel valued, and have heroes they can look up to. Fast forward to 2022. It's been three years since we've seen an Ironman at all in Hawaii, and the women now have their own day, 
or at least plans that will evolve into women having their own day. And the pro-women have equal slots. So, the Feisties are heading to Hawaii to produce a daily live podcast series called The Women of Kona, where we will be getting real behind the scenes for the historic debut of what will become the women's only race. We will discuss the issues with leaders, pros, influencers, and age groupers. We will also bring you all the usual feisty fun, like performance tips from the best pros and coaches, race day predictions, coverage and TikToks, from the Hoala swim to the underpants run to race day. Join us as I, Sarah Gross, take you behind the scenes at the Ironman World Champs with the women who made the race what it is today and those who will shape the future of our sport. You can watch all the actions starting on September 30th by subscribing to Feisty Media on YouTube or by sub- or you can listen by subscribing to Iron Women on your podcast app. So that's Feisty Media on YouTube or the Iron Women podcast on your podcast app. See you in Kona. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Millie Perry. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social media at Try to Defy, at Dr. Gold Speaks, or at Outspoken Women and Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time. <laughs>